What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out Podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with and with others who served at other prisons. We're going to be talking about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you've built up in your own mind. So, listeners, if you've been following the show, last week I had Joel Swartz on. And Joel Swartz was the defense attorney for Russ Faria. And anybody who's had a television set or has been plugged into any type of media outlets, um, the thing about Pam has been a six-part miniseries. Um, it's been a podcast with 30 million listeners. Uh, it has been a juggernaut of a story that no one can get enough of. But I got to tell you something. Joel was nice enough to connect me with Russ and my guest today is Russ Faria. Russ, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me on. So I was just, Russ and I were just catching up before we got on here. And, and one of the things that I think, because this story has taken on so many branches of a tree, but one of the things, Russ, that I, I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle is, is who is Russ? And, you know, before all this happened, what was what was little Russ Faria doing? Where were you? Where'd you grow up? What was going on? Ah, well, I grew up uh, in Florissant, Missouri. You know, kind of a suburban area, uh, just outside of St. Louis. For those not from the area, um, just normal teenage life. You know, my mom and dad. Uh, a lot of folks that I grew up with, their parents were divorced, but my folks were together until uh, my father just passed away. This recent no uh this past november so i had my folks and uh, we grew up there and just led a normal teenage life went to hazelwood central that's the yeah. big question around st louis where did you, you go to high louis, school where did you go to high school <laughs> i went to hazelwood central and uh you know just got my sh fair share of trouble that teenage boys will you know uh, nothing major at the time you know just stupid kid stuff you know a few fights here and there but just normally, you know, and then uh, I guess around 18, 19 years old, my folks uh, moved out to the Wentzville area, O'Fallon, mm -hmm. uh, which is a bit west. And, and back then... That was out in the middle was, of nowhere then. It was quite out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It was quite rural. And uh, uh, being from the more urban area, I was kind of reluctant to that. But, you know, I, I warmed up to it pretty good and uh, made some good friends and that out there. Uh, some of the friends that were witnesses in my case... Oh, excuse me. Um, and lived out there for quite some time, you know, and uh, just enjoyed taking rides in the country and stuff. When I was a kid, I liked to ride my bicycle all over the place. Yeah. I go out, you know, I, I, probably about my age. Yeah, I don't kids know, of the 70s and 80s actually used to ride their bicycles. Right. You go out in the morning the and then you wouldn't be back until the <laughs> exactly. evening. Exactly. And uh, your mom would say, hey, where you been? Oh, I've been out riding my bike. Oh, okay. Yeah, all over town. You might have been 20 <laughs> miles away. Uh, but that's what me and my friends like to do was uh, go out and ride our bikes and, you know, just play in a creek and everything everybody else did when they were a kid, you know. I grew up in the 70s and 80s being, uh, I was uh, born in 1970, so I'm 52 now. Um, 
Sometimes I feel older. Sometimes well, you, I feel younger. you're younger than me, Russ. I'm 55, so you're yeah, the youngster. You only got here. a couple of years. Yeah. But then we moved out there, and uh, I started enjoying some of the country life and uh, kind of settled into that. I like to take, take drives in the country. I like to go fishing and camping and things like that. Enjoyed the outdoor life. And uh, um, once upon a time, I met this lady named Betsy, and she worked at the uh, – local gas station which was uh at that time where i lived was probably the closest convenience store it was about a mile or two from my house where uh, the next closest grocery store was maybe about five or six miles away so uh, i'd be in there all the time and i'd talk to her and made her acquaintance and that and i thought she was a cute girl the first thing i noticed about her was her beautiful eyes mm-hmm. you know she had a great personality uh, one thing i tell people about betsy whenever they ask about her is uh, she's like the famous president who never met anybody she didn't like, mm-hmm. you know, she was everybody's friend, you know, and, and, uh, she'd do anything she can to help anybody out or whatnot. And, uh, eventually she actually asked me out. <laughs> oh, she did. She yeah. asked you out, Russ. She asked me out. And well, that makes it easy then, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, she, we went, I think to uh, this casino in St. Charles for a date, you know, went and, I think we went to the malt shop where you can get a burger and yeah. a malt there and, and enjoyed some of the action in the casino and that. And, um, I had always been into music, uh, just all growing up. You have that in common with Joel, your uh, your t- attorney, who yeah. he has his own band. He has Joe's F- Joel's effing band. Yeah, and, Joel's uh, effing band. Contrary to what the movie or anything else shows, I never heard Joel play guitar until – Long after, long I was after out of the prison. fact, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I was really into music in that at the time. I grew up uh, just listening to music my whole life. I, I had some aunts and uncles that introduced me to some of the the good stuff from the '60s and '70s, you know. And and I was into all that. I still am today. The good uh, era, right? Right. I listened to Casey <laughs> and, yeah. and that, right? And uh, so anyway. Uh, but she I like had, I like this, Russ, because nobody ever even talks about how in the world you and Betsy met. So you met at a she was at the gas station, worked at the gas station, and you just kinda from time to time would go in there and then she asked you out and you guys go on a date and 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 there's the relationship. Yeah. And uh she was running a DJ business. Okay. That's why she worked at the gas station because that allowed her to keep the hours that she wanted to to run her DJ business. And if she had to take off, you know, it's just a gas station job. You can get another one of those. But the DJ business was quite lucrative. And uh, she says, hey, you know, why don't you come and uh, help me with one of these DJ shows or something, see how you like it. So I did. And uh, it was quite enjoyable, like I said. Well, you guys had that in common. I mean, you love music. Right. And uh, so I started going with her to shows. And then I'm kind of a, a techno geek type guy anyway. So then I started doing shows away from her so that way she could do two shows at once if i'm over here and she's over there and um that was great and then um along the line once we ended up getting married uh, i went to college and got a degree in computers uh, it stuff so what i was able to do and this was like i said going going back when we started djing it was uh cassette tapes so you had to oh, yeah. listen to a cassette tape and cue it up get the song ready and have the next one ready and it was quite hard and then we went to cds and that was great and you were back to being a disc jockey again uh-huh. and uh but right around that time was when people started putting their music on hard drives 
And me being in the techno field, I was able to do that before anybody else was in St. Louis. And so... Because you'd figured out the whole IT computer stuff and figured out to transfer that to music. I I love it. If I can make a database of my music, I can pick and choose what song I want. Way ahead of the game. Uh, You know, maybe the the radio stations were doing it, but none of the local DJs Uh out there doing shows. Yeah. And so we ran around with a laptop and a hard drive rather than a whole case full of CDs. We had the ability to play a CD, of course. Sure. So that was pretty neat. And... um, you know, we uh, we had our ups and downs in our relationship. You know, we each had our own issues and infidelities and whatnot, and uh, that's been well documented over the years. But, uh, you know, the last few years uh, that we were together uh, were probably some of the best of our relationship. We found a new church that we liked and uh, made a lot of new friends through that church. And um, Well, that was one of the things, Russ, I thought was interesting. Everybody, you know, has ups and downs and whatever when they're married, but it seemed like that you guys had found your the right path and things had gotten to where you guys were good. And w- whether with the church and the friends or whatever, it seemed like that was the way you guys had kind of found your way. Yeah, it, it was. And uh, I said, some of those friends I'm, I'm still friends with and talk to every day. Uh, and we were on the right path. We found the recipe for success, I guess, in a relationship yeah. and uh, things were going great. And, we were uh, doing better financially than we had in the past and whatnot. And then we got slapped upside the head with this thing called cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, that wasn't any fun at all. Uh, we were in the process of looking for a home at the time and uh, having issues trying to find what we wanted in our price range. And in St. Charles County, where we lived, it's kind of a, a higher-priced area because it's a growing area. And uh, then we had to start going through cancer treatment. And so Betsy uh, said, you know, hey, what, you know, why don't you find us a place to live? I got to concentrate on being healthy and getting better. And we discussed things. And, and I says, you know, what if we go up here to Lincoln County or neighboring Warren County? There's mm-hmm. properties a little bit less there. And you can get more house for your money. And we agreed that that might be something we would uh, entertain. And then I found the house up there in Troy which I thought was uh, great. It was a nice little rural area. It was going back to the rural area again. Like, uh, you know, O'Fallon had started growing up and becoming more uh, suburban like the area I grew up in. So it was kind of neat to get back to a rural area again. But uh, I guess that was one of my first mistakes was moving to that particular town. Uh, But she started going through... uh, all the treatments that go with cancer and we went through all the emotional stuff with that and it had uh, to be tough. How old would she have been? She was, it didn't seem like she was very old. Uh, it was the beginning of 2010 when she was diagnosed and that would have been, uh, she would have been 41. Yeah. That's in young. 2010. Yeah. And, uh, I was a year younger than her and she went through all the treatment and then, reconstructive surgery and uh, early in 2011 she was uh, declared cancer free okay in remission they call it yeah and so that was exciting news that was great so she got to go and get her reconstructive surgery done and uh, go through that process and got together with some family and friends and said hey you know why don't we have a celebratory cruise and that's this uh, you've seen pictures of the cruise that we took. Um, we've taken a few cruises prior to that, but this one was going to be a special one. 
and that. And um, so we planned that with family and friends. And the year kind of went on, and we were living our lives, and she was getting active in, in that and um, hanging out. And she she always tried to remain active, even when she was through chemo. If you've known anybody that's gone through cancer treatment, they have uh, good days and bad days. Some days they feel like total dog doo-doo. Yeah, wiped and, out. And uh, they don't want to move. And then there's other days when they feel like Superman or, you know, bulletproof and 10 foot tall mm -hmm. and on those days she'd go out and play tennis or whatever she wanted to do um any rate uh that year kind of went on and we were out of town for an out-of-town wedding i believe it was in october and she got a call from her primary doctor because she had gone there uh, for some other issue and that doctor said well you need to probably go talk to your oncologist when you get home and so we did and they performed the test and then there was the uh, the hard meeting that you have to have where the doctor says, you know, hey, this is what's going on. And we found out that breast cancer was spread to her liver and it was inoperable. Mm. So uh, you have to ask the hard questions then and get the hard answers. And the doctor said, you know, you have uh, probably three to five years if you're thinking positively, you know. And so we went through all of that emotions. And oh, that's tough. And, that's and tough information. And here we had this wonderful cruise. Oh, yeah, you guys had just celebrated month. the remission and everything that just happened. Well, the cruise was coming up still in November at that okay. point. So she decided, and she's the positive soul, like I said. She's yeah. like, you know what? This is still going to be a celebration of life. We're going to have fun, and we're going to go out there and, and enjoy our time with our family and friends. And, you know, I think maybe she knew, you know, you say people that are terminal sometimes mm -hmm. know when they're closer than the people yeah. around them. I think maybe she knew that. I don't know. Um, but we went out and we had a great time on that cruise, you know, and, um, a month after that, uh, my worst nightmare happened. Well, let's talk about that, Russ, because before we got turned on the, the podcast here, what happened to you is a little bit different than what happens to a lot of the people that I interview because like in, I said, it was like in my case, it, it was a six year journey of, of fighting a battle and, and you, you, you're with that the whole time and your wife and kids and you're, you're going through that. Yours was, you were just living a normal day, living a normal life and you go home and you're, you're basically hit. It's like you got T-boned in the street. You, your life changed immediately. And the minute that you opened that door and from that moment on, Everything changed. So as it's portrayed, uh, is it, as you walk in that house, is it pretty accurate to what happened? It's, it's very, very close. Um, you know, it is a matter of coming in the front door. There's a small foyer there. I believe I made a turn uh, towards the garage door to put down some dog food. And as I got past that area is when I saw the scene that I came upon. And the dog wasn't in the house, which was also unusual. I, I, that, that was quite unusual, yeah. the dog being outside, yes. So you turn, you see this horrible situation on the floor. It's your wife and uh, something you would have never seen before, except maybe in a horror movie. Uh, I, I, you, what's going through your mind? Well, or is it just all a blur? A lot of it is a blur. I mean, you go into shock, and there's a lot of stuff that just automatically your brain does. I mean, you're taught 
uh, you know, from the time you're a little kid to call the police when you need help. So, yeah. um, I'm not a forensic scientist. I'm not a crime scene investigator, but, uh, and I don't know of anybody else that's ever found their loved one in such a condition and I don't recommend it to anybody. However, um, if you were ever found yourself in that situation, you would find that you don't spend a whole lot of time investigating other than you see the situation, then you want you have that fight or flight, and the thing you want to do, uh, for me, it was get away from the scene, which went to the kitchen, and called 911. Well, right. I'd heard somewhere along the line before that if you call 911 from a landline, it's better they can trace you right to where you're at than if you call from a cell phone. So I picked up the only landline that we had, which normally was used for our business or making faxes and stuff, and I called the cops. Well, they said that that was something suspicious later on, but uh, I called 911, and uh, my now famous 911 call that the uh, prosecutor says I had no emotion during um, is is what ensued. So and then, uh, the police got there. And they took me outside, and I never got to go back inside after that. That was it. Right. Um, I was taken out to a patrol car and was out there for I don't know how long. I was sitting outside the house for a little bit, and the fireman gave me a blanket. And then an officer took me to a patrol car, and I don't know how long I was out there before the detectives came and said, oh, you know, hey, we want you to come down here to the police station and answer some questions. We're trying to figure out what exactly happened here. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you know, I th- I thought I was helping. Yeah. You know, um, like I said, I was very distraught and in shock at the time. So I went with them down to the police station. They never said, once said, you're under arrest or anything like that. So you're thinking at that time, you're, 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 your wife is lying on the floor and you've called 911. There's blood everywhere. Um, and you go down to the police station. And if I'm not mistaken... And I could be wrong on this, but there, you spoke to them for like 30-some-odd hours, right? Yeah. It was. And from what I understand, Russ, while you're doing that and trying to give them every detail, they're going and checking that out. Yeah. They're, they're, going to che- they're checked out your friends that you were with. They, they spoke to each one of them. They all verified. They, they took them to different police stations to make sure that they couldn't, you know, combine their stories. And all of it checked out. You you being on camera, wearing the same clothes, uh, you going to Arby's, all these different things that happen, they're checking out while you're sitting in there talking. Yeah, that was unbeknownst to me. You know, I'm just, they're saying, hey, say that, you know, give us the story. What'd you do? I, I went through my whole evening, I don't know, several times. Yeah. So the, um, and I I feel like there was, uh, there was, was there one of the guys that was in the police station that was part or had was in your church? Uh, yeah, uh, Officer Merkel. Okay, and you, you'll remember Merkel's name because he's the guy that perjured himself on right. the stand he, over 132 when, pictures when they put the pictures in front of him. Right. Yeah. You know, he he claimed, and and I guess maybe he knew my pastor somehow, some way, yeah, through the church or whatever. But he claimed to know my pastor and and to be involved in the church and not. But, you know, I, I would think as a good Christian, you know, that would keep you from perjuring yourself on right. the stand. But obviously, you know, he, he showed did. his true colors. Yeah. So so you get, finally, after all this, and you think you've helped him with all this information, they arrest you. Well, they released me. Oh, they released you. Well, That's right. I, uh, they, they questioned they me, questioned me, you. and then they said, oh, hey, 
do you mind doing a polygraph? And I'm like, yeah. well, I got nothing to hide. Yeah, sure. What the hell? And they're like, well, we don't, we don't have the resources to do that here. So let's take you down to Lake St. Louis, about another. Right where I was near my friend's house yeah. is where Lake St. Louis is. Yeah. So about a half an hour away. And they took me in there. I couldn't tell you if that machine was on to this day. They mm -hmm. said it malfunctioned. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, malfunctioning yeah, going a lot on. Of malfunctioning, yeah, exactly. Cameras, <laughs> lie detector, everything's malfunctioning. And then over that's there. when uh, when I got done, they said, you failed 100%. And that's when they started you know, and pointing really at me and on throwing you. accusations. And then at that point, you know, it's kind of like a slap in the face. That's when I woke up mm -hmm. and the little switch went on in my head and said, this isn't good. No, no, no way. I don't even need to talk to these people. Right. I've watched enough TV. Yeah. I have the right to remain silent and I have the right to an attorney mm -hmm. and I'm going to invoke that right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, I'm done. You know, I told him, I don't know how many times I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And they're going, yeah. And I says, all right, fine. I want a lawyer. And the detective, uh, Raymond Floyd says that does it. As soon as they want a lawyer, that means they did it. That was his exact words. And I said, whatever. And they handcuffed me and I didn't say another word until, uh, actually, uh, they took me up to Lincoln County, booked me in and went into the, the tank up front and uh, got to finally make a phone call that I'd been asking for, for a long time since the previous evening yeah. and uh, immediately called home and uh, got to talk to my mother and uh, my cousin, Mary, which your uh, cousin, Mary, I mean, how that all came about and her working with Joel years before is she quite is, a deal. She is one incredible woman and uh, you couldn't have had a better guy that she knew that happens <laughs> to come in and be your attorney yeah she uh well she she talked me on the phone I, and, and at that point you know they were just holding me and i says we both knew a lawyer that we were both mutually acquainted with went to my church and she used to work for the guy and his name is andy beanie and so she sent andy up there and he got me out and you know and then we had a funeral and all that and on january 4th um that's when they came and arrested me at my mother's house and that was when uh, Mary finally thought of Joel, mm -hmm. you know, because initially we're like, oh, well, this is just a yeah. misunderstanding. Oh, we need this will work lawyer. its way out. Yeah. Right. And then when they arrested me and charged me with murder, then uh, Mary had to sit down and think a little bit harder and said, well, who did I used to work for? And Joel's name came up in her mind and uh, she made that phone call. And I think that was one of the best decisions that could have been made. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, for those who listened to the podcast last week, Joel um, is the type of guy that you would want in your corner when you're going through your nightmare because he really embodied and became part of the case. And, you know, when things went as bad as they did, I mean, he was never going to give up to, to make sure that you got righted on the situation, which, you know, I don't know. It, it, you know, I, there's a lot of people out there, but listening to Joel and what he believed and what he thought of you and how that all went down. Um, man, he was the right guy for the right time, wasn't he? Well, and, and that's the thing. There's a lot of guys that after being convicted, and I think Joel said this and brought this up when he talked to you, they'll fire their lawyer, Yeah, you know, because you got to place the blame somewhere or what have yeah. you. And there's 
you've been inside, so you understand there's a lot of jailhouse lawyers there that are trying to point you in this direction sure. or that and do this and hire this person. And I had everybody and their brother, Ryan Ferguson, had just gotten out when I went to prison. Yeah. And everybody knew him and then found me and said, you should hire the same lawyer he had, hire, hire Zellner. Right. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I'm going to stick with Joel. And the reason why is from the first time I met Joel to this day, Joel believed in me. Absolutely. Joel believed in me. And when I was going through what I was going through and there was nobody believing me other than the people close to me, family yeah. and friends, this person believed in me and still does to this day. He did all throughout the process. And I had to return the favor and believe in him too. Yeah, I, I, that's and it was a team. Um, so when you go in, because we were just talking about the difference between jail and prison, you you spent a lot of time in jail, which is for those who don't know, jail is the worst bottom of the world place to be, and prison's different. But jail, you were in there for a long time, uh, almost two years. Yeah, about, about half the time I was locked up, I was in jail. So, Russ. Just to get in your mind a little bit, they arrest you for murdering your wife that you loved, that was, you know, somebody who was a big part of your life. And then you've got everybody that's being told that you're a murderer and you're in jail. What, what is happening? What are you thinking? Well, you don't have any time to grieve your loss. I mean, there's no time for that in jail. And, you know, everybody watches the news. And so when you're in jail, again, like you were saying, it's, it's everybody knows what you're there for. Right. When you go to prison, you're you're in a prison with 3,000 people. Nobody cares what you're there for. Right. They just care how you act. Right. You know, but uh, in jail, it's different and you get treated differently. Um, but it all does go down to how you act. Mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine, David Dowling. Uh, I think you know who yeah. he is. Some prison uh, counts with uh, Ryan Ferguson exactly. on the podcast. Yeah, uh, when we did our po our podcast together, he he's and I'm gonna quote him on this. He said, "You get a lot further by being a nice guy yeah. than by being a tough guy because there's always somebody tougher than you." Yeah. But if you're a nice guy and people like you, you won't have to be a tough guy. Yeah. And and it's true, and it's that way in jail too. I mean, uh, one of the biggest toughest guys that was in my wing where I was assigned and, and he was a bad dude. He was a bad dude. And when I met him, he said, have your people look me up on case net. I'm that guy. I said, okay, well you want to play chess? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we played chess through the chuck hole and uh, we would read the Bible together. And uh, at night I kind of got everybody in our little wing started on doing a little Bible reading. And if you wanted to participate, you could. And if you didn't, you didn't have to, but it was read out of the chuck hole cause we were in the hole uh, which is solitary or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, ad seg, many different Because names. of what you've been charged with. Right. Yeah. Well, and plus the cops wanted, they were trying to break me. Yeah. And there's some more stories that go along with that. But um, this guy was affected by that. And uh, I'm proud to say that I'm responsible for him being saved and coming to Jesus. And to this day, he's out now, and he's turned his life around, and he's repentant. So the bad guy that he used to be, he's not. So, so one of your, I guess one of your strategies when you were in there was to maybe turn and flip it into helping people. And and I, one thing that I really gained from just talking to you for the time we've talked, Russ, is that you could have easily been a victim because you were a victim and, and the, what they did to you. 
but you flipped the script and, and really survived the situation, became a survivor, and you didn't get in a fetal position. You stepped into it, and you were an innocent guy being put in a bad situation, but you were helping people while you were in there, and you were going through probably the worst nightmare you could ever go through. Yes, and but but again, you're you're locked up, and you have to make the best of a bad situation. There's no way that you're getting out until they let you out, and so I've. Well, did I'm, you did you have a feeling, Russ? Because I know it's people who've gone through trying to get prepared for trials when they're in jail. It's tough because you're you're confined, and then they've got to make room and places for you to meet your attorney and that. As you're going through this, was in that first case, was Joel giving you any indication that he was dealing with all this craziness out here where the world had kind of flipped upside down that, you know, they weren't looking at anybody else and, and you know, he wasn't getting the things approved, you know, through these hearings that he wanted. Were all those things, were you guys talking about that type of stuff and were you, did you have real hope that this was going to come out okay? Well, um, that's, that's a few questions there, but I'll try and address them all. Um, I was actually present at some of those proceedings. And, With and the hearings. That, some of the hearings yeah. and that, pre-trial motions and that, and uh, was brought over there and got to witness firsthand some of the, the things that were going on and, and them cutting Joel off and trying to tie his hands. I was still remained hopeful throughout the whole thing that he was going to be able to present our case in such a way that, I'll be innocent again. The truth sets you free, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're going to tell the truth and that's everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. <laughs> I mean, when Joel first came and saw me, he's like, Oh, we're going to get you out of here real fast. Yeah. And, and then that didn't happen. And we had to wait for a trial. And then our first judge, our very first judge was, um, judge Dan Dildine. And I'm confident that if we had, Judge Dan Dildine for the trial, we would have won, but he was retiring, mm -hmm. and Judge Minnemeyer got elected in, uh, who is Leah's buddy, and so what she did, the last pretrial motion was about a week or two before the trial was supposed to happen, and uh, Joel met with me before the motion. We went in there. He says, she's going to ask for an extension. He says, I'm going to say the only way we're going to accept that is if they lower your bond so that you can get out and prepare for your trial. Mm -hmm. The judge is going to say no to both of us, and we're going to go to trial next week. I said, great. Went in there, went exactly as Joel said. The next day, I get a meeting from one of Joel's uh, associates. They dropped and refiled your charges. And for those of you that don't know what that means – you're in the front of the line wow. because you've been waiting for your trial and they drop and refile your charges. You now go right back to the back of the line. So mm. I had to wait a whole nother year, man. And you're in jail. <laughs> and I was in jail and, uh, Ryan McCarrick, uh, you'll hear his name throughout this thing a whole lot. Uh, he loves to trample all over people's civil rights. Um, one of the things he did was send an individual in there to try and rough me up and get a confession. Mm. Um, Again, that's part of uh, being a good guy because that, remember that tough guy I told you about that was that I made friends with? This guy, when they brought him in, was talking about roughing me up, and the tough guy downstairs said, you touch him, We've it's going to be like that for you because you're going to go to prison sooner or later, son. And uh, 
when they put me in a cell with the guy I don't know if, if that was what changed his mind or not, but there was no fight, there was no roughing up. Uh, and Ryan McCarrick's little report that I recently saw that he wrote about my confession that never happened, he never got to file it. Interesting. Wow. Well, I mean, it also shows that you, uh, you, 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 you were yourself in there, being yourself, and that played in your favor when things could have gotten bad because the guy that you knew wasn't going to let you get roughed up. So says a lot. So fast forward through this thing, Russ. Um, you, how long did that trial last? I'm trying the to first trial lasted just almost a week. I think it was like five days, yeah. six days. So you come, you're standing there, and jury comes back, and they say that you're guilty. And I believe that they said you were guilty, and the eventual uh, sentence was was life without parole. Am I correct? Yes. Uh, what Which I was... there's a difference between life and life without parole. I think life is like 25 years. Life right. without parole means life. Right. And, and then... Missouri has a little thing they tack on. Plus and if you use a weapon <laughs> in whatever crime that you did, yeah. uh, then they, they tack on armed criminal action, yes. which has a maximum penalty of 30 years. So I had, so you had plus 30. I had life after, without plus 30. Life. So yeah. if I would survive <laughs> life without, then that 30 years I could possibly be paroled. <laughs> so what are you thinking? I mean, the worst happened. You lose your wife. You've been in... You've been in jail for way too long. Uh, the the things haven't gone your way, and then the jury comes back and says that you're guilty. What what's going through your head now, Russ? Well, it's devastating. Yeah, you know, um, it takes all the wind out of your sails. It's like you were expecting it to go the other way, and you can hear the reactions of your family and friends behind you. You know, it takes uh, a breath out of them. Yeah, and. and you know, I've mentioned my cousin Mary, and I'll mention my sister Rachel, uh, the two of them. Leading up to that first trial, they did a lot of the legwork for Joel. I mean, yeah. they were out there pounding the pavement and, and getting information everywhere they could and talking to people. And, and uh, you know, all of their hard work, you know, just Joel, uh, I think, said an expli explicative mm -hmm. and, uh, and exited the courtroom. He was just... Uh, appalled and flabbergasted himself i'm trying to remember russ is is dateline in this at this point because d did dateline no. ask him i'm trying to remember when did dateline get into the to that story so all the way up until this point the only coverage that and an excellent excellent coverage by chris hayes local mm -hmm. news guy in st louis here and his cameraman dave sharp mm -hmm. uh, they're just fantastic at what they do uh, but he was there for the whole thing yeah. from the time I was arrested to then. And he sat and Chris the happens to be, and was a big fan of Joel's before that. He so, was, yeah, he was. And I think going into that, uh, Chris, Chris was like, Oh yeah, you got this. And Joel says, well, it's a better story for you if I lose, mm -hmm. you know, but they never thought that was going to happen. So all the way up until that point, and then I get convicted, I get sentenced and I go to prison Dateline hadn't been called. Joel had kind of told my cousin Mary and other people, you know, hey, hold off on that until let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so once we were convicted, then Joel gave the okay. My cousin Mary 
got a hold of Dateline, and uh, Kathy Singer picked up on this thing, and she really uh, sunk her teeth into it. She sunk her teeth into it like a pit bull terrier, yeah. and she wasn't letting go. And um, you know, they came to see me at the prison. That well, was I want to back up on that, Russ, because you you you've, you go from jail. Now you've gone to what? What prison did you go to? Well, I initially went to Fulton. Okay. You know, because Fulton uh, County Prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I went there because that's your uh, receiving and diagnostic center. That's where you get poked and prodded, and uh, they mentally assess you to make sure you're not a crazy, and make sure you don't have any communicable diseases and all that. And then they decide where they're going to send you for your permanent camp. And um, they inform you that they're going to try and keep you close to wherever you're from so that your people can come and see you and whatnot. And so I was there for, I don't know, about a month or so. And then they came and got me one night and said, you're leaving tomorrow, get your stuff ready. And then 4 o'clock in the morning, we got on the buses and got to go to Jefferson City Correctional Center. Wow. Uh, and that, isn't that where Dave was? Uh, at the, uh, I think it was last name. Dave uh, Dowling? Yeah. Uh, I think he was there for, for a little time. While. For a little while. while. Yeah. Uh, Ryan was there. Yeah. Like like I said, he got out. Ryan got About out the, same the time week you... that I was convicted. Okay. And But we had a mutual friend that we made in prison, Rodney Lincoln. Yeah. And uh, so I got to make his acquaintance in there. So it was just kind of a lot of uh, small world type stuff. It stories. is a small world thing when you start doing So what was your... Going into that prison, what what was your first day like? What was your first feelings like? Motions of going, this is going to be where I'm at. Knowing that you've got an attorney out there that's fighting for you, but you're you're now your life is turned into this is something you're looking at. Well, it's it's quite disheartening, you know. Um, I'm uh, Again, we'll go back to my cousin Mary because she she plays an integral part in this. But uh, what she told me early on, even before the first trial, you know, and and she kept reminding me throughout the whole thing is, you take care of yourself and what mm-hmm. you need to on the inside, and let me take care of what's on the outside. I got this for you. You can trust me. And that's great. <laughs> Mary is five months younger than me, almost to the day. We grew up like brother and sister. Uh, yeah. Uh, many times we refer to ourselves as the Wonder Twins because people wonder if we're twins or not because we're on the same brainwave. Uh-huh. Um, so I knew that she had it for me on the outside. She was going to take care of everything, and I had that confidence, you know. Yeah. But confidence in the system, yeah. however, by that point, it had to be terribly was bruised. severely lacking. <laughs> yeah. By this point, I've already learned about this guy named Ryan Ferguson who mm-hmm. spent 10 years on something he didn't do. Yeah. And now I've met this gentleman named Rodney that has been in prison for over 30 years. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, and, and now I learned that the average time for an appeal in the state of Missouri is 10 to 14 years. Right. And I'm like, so, okay, I got to, it's a long Kind of like, and time. I'm going to do my best, Morgan Freeman, what he said to Andy Dufresne, <laughs> either get busy living or, or get, get busy, busy dying. dying. One of the <laughs> best movies out there. And a great line. So, yes. I mean, it's like we were talking about earlier. You either get busy living or you get busy dying. You yeah. can feel sorry for yourself and rot away in a cell, or you can stay true to who you are. And, Russ, I think that's one of the interesting things about prison is, is that there's really one or the other 
option. You don't really see an in-between in prison. You see guys that are trying to make it work, trying to stay busy, trying to better themselves, and you see the other guys that have given up. Mm-hmm. And there's just there's that two things going on. And I always think that's interesting because it, it really, in such a primitive society, it breaks it down to how you get to survive. How you get to do this? You get to step into it. You get to keep trying to be yourself and and work yourself into a a life of get busy living. Or then I think that's why that that line is so deep. Is you got to get busy living or get busy dying, and you really have that choice when you enter the prison world. And and I don't. And you have the prison. And you have that when you enter outside world too. I don't think anybody gets the gravity of that line unless you've actually been on the inside. Yeah. You know, because it's it's a slap in the face and it's its own society and you can either blend into the society or not. And you and you entered that society a little bit differently because most people go in there anonymous. Um, you, on the other hand, probably weren't because this was something that had been around. Uh, how were you accepted in as Russ? Well, amazingly enough, since I went to Jefferson City, Jefferson City is far enough away from St. They Louis where that. they don't get that news. And by that time, we weren't on Dateline yet. Yeah. Dateline came. So you really did get it going there anonymously then? I did. Yeah. I did. And uh, I just did the same thing I'd been doing, you know, and kept my head down and, and started trying to get busy living, you know. Did you have a prison job in there? I did. I worked in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, you may or may not know what CRD is, but I worked in the CRD line, which for those of People that don't know, it's the certified religious diet. <laughs> so I made the uh, religious trays for those guys. There were three of us that worked in that area, and uh, that was the highest paid job in the kitchen. I got paid a dollar a day. There you go. You're making the big <laughs> bucks. So uh, had you ever worked? Uh, did you like food, kitchen, uh, fixing things outside of prison? Is that Was that something that you were interested in? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've always been... Uh, what I call an amateur chef. You yeah, know, I, I'm Italian, Sicilian. That's much appreciated in prison, by the way. People that can cook. Yes, it is. They're, they're very much appreciated. That'll get you a good reputation, <laughs> exactly. and, and uh, your cellie will like you a lot if you know how to cook. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I I liked working in the kitchen because I liked working with food. Of course, uh, if you work in the kitchen, you can eat anything you want yep. as long as you don't get caught. Yep. Um, That's right. Well, walk me back into the, the, what's your, what's your living quarters like? What do you, what do you, are you, uh, is it an open dorm? Are you in two man cells? What, what do you got? Oh no, we were in a level five camp. So what that means for everybody else is you're locked down approximately 23 hours a day, unless you have a job and unless rec is going on. Now in jail, you're locked down 23 hours a day. That's it. That's it. You get an hour out in prison. Your lockdown does not include several times a week getting to go outside to the gym or outside and and have recreation. So it's a little bit better than uh, a lot better than jail in that respect. But uh, we were locked down in our prison cells until it was rec time or time to go to to work or chow. And so I chose a job in the kitchen that I worked seven days a week. So mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and. Um, Ryan and I have both described it in this way. You're living in a bathroom with another guy, so you better hope you get along with that other guy. <laughs> I don't care if he's your best friend or not. Go try and spend two days in a bathroom with your best friend. Exactly. I just had my uh, Strobe, who who I was a cellmate with for 
little over a year, and he came through here the other night. We had dinner. I hadn't seen him, I think, in five years. He did a podcast, but we hadn't actually seen each other. And they were, we were joking that you really get to know somebody, know somebody when you're in that eight by ten. Yes, so. yes, you do, and and you get to know everything you didn't think you wanted to know exactly. About. <laughs> so. When did when do you start feeling like things are? I'm I, I'm guessing that Joel starts showing up and saying, "Here's what we're gonna do." Well, he was working on the appeal, and I started getting you know he was giving me some written information about that and the brief and everything that he was working on, and I spoke to him and several of the uh, appeals lawyers in his office that were helping uh, work on that. And there's uh, so I was remaining hopeful, but. Again, I was like, okay, yeah, I know how this works. The appeal goes in, and then they reject it. Yeah. It goes in again. I'm like, it's going to be five years before we ever get yeah. in front of a judge You'd already again. thought that in your head. Right. I mean, this is all I've been learning. I've yeah. educated And you got myself. a lot of people around you telling you that right. in the prison. Exactly. <laughs> all your prison lawyers. And, and so it's real easy, and I'm not going to say that you don't feel hopeless sometimes yeah. because there are those times. There's dark times that, that you don't tell people well, I, about. I, well, yeah, the dark times. How did you handle hard days in prison? Um, well, I listened to music. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough that my family and friends, and actually I even had perfect strangers putting money on my books. And that's a gift. Anybody that's been inside <laughs> knows that if you got somebody to put money on your books, that's great. And so by prison standards, um, I was kind of rich. Prison rich. You know, I was able to buy tennis shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I was able to buy whatever I yeah, wanted. Cool stuff. Commissary. I had yeah. sweatpants and yeah. shorts yeah. and all that. I had a TV. Mm-hmm. I was one of the guys with a TV and I bought a Walkman, you know, that's a radio CD player. And so I'd listen to music. Pink Floyd was one of my big ones that I like to listen to. Um, and, and reading the Bible. Okay. So Russ, that, that was, that's a good strategy though. You, you, you connected to the things that you were connected with before music brought you back and probably was an escape. And then reading the Bible, connected you in a way that you were connected on the outside. I like that. And and there's a lot of good wisdom in that book, you know, and a lot of people don't talk about it. I'm not a pastor or a preacher. I'm not going to try and sway anybody one way or the other. You know, you have your own beliefs. But um, that book right there, uh, it just has a way of getting you through some of the darkest times, you know, especially if you have faith in it and the words that's in it. And that's uh, that and my mother, uh Thought of coming home to my mother because I'm the biggest mother's mama's, <laughs> mama's boy, boy. That's ever walked the face of the earth. Those two things got me through. But you had all that support, anything. which is fantastic. I did. I had an excellent support team on the outside of family and friends. You know, uh, I've mentioned my cousin, my sister. There's my brother. There's extended family and yeah. people I never met. There was a lady in Florida uh, by the name of Joanne Rowe. And she came up here for my second trial. She was just so into it, into it. Yeah. And and actually, after I got out and got exonerated, I, I went and stayed with her for a couple of days. Her and her husband no down kidding. in Sarasota, Florida. How cool is that? Uh, they made a room and called it the Russ Faria <laughs> room. And, and my cousin Mary and I stayed there for a few days as a guest of theirs. It was fantastic. That's great. So when you're going through, did uh, how long were you in there before this whole Dateline thing started to take a life of its own? Um, well, shortly after I got to Fulton, um, Joel contacted me and said, well, this, this local news guy, Chris Hayes, wants to interview you, and I think it would be a great idea, and, um, you know, you can go ahead and do this. 
You're going to have to sign some paperwork for them to do that. And, oh, by the way, Dateline, I think, wants to talk to you too. So I went through the whole process of signing paperwork for the whole Fox 2 in St. Louis and the whole thing for Dateline. Uh, Chris Hayes and Robert Patrick from Post-Dispatch came mm-hmm. and saw me first and did a real extensive interview. And then um, Keith Morrison and the Dateline crew came in. That had to be and, a trip, uh, right? Right, yeah, it was kind of surreal. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow. For th- those people showing up where you live right. and, and all these inmates seeing this, I mean, it had Well, to- no, the inmates didn't see it at all. They, they didn't were see in the chow other- hall. They, okay. they called me out of my cell, like, you're during So they didn't and, see any of the production or anything. You you got pulled into the cafeteria. They had no idea why I was okay. gone for an hour. I could have been at a doctor. Gotcha. They didn't know at all. So I go and do these interviews and then come back, you know. Uh-huh. And maybe my cell and one or two other people. I know. know. <laughs> right. And then from there I go to, in Fulton, you don't get your own TV. There's a pod TV. And so nobody watched that show. It was lights out by that time anyway, by the time Dateline comes on. Yeah. So when I got to Jefferson City, by that time, Dateline had aired. So the people there, they may or may not have seen it and never put two and two together. Yeah. But late at night, some of those cable channels, and you do get cable in prison, folks. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, your commissary, (laughs) the prisoner's commissary pays for that. Thank you. But... um, Dateline re-airs these things, you know, throughout the year. Sure. You find it on Investigation Discovery. I go to sleep or, to it at night, believe it or right, not. Right, a lot of folks do. And so there's a lot of guys in prison that got nothing else to do but stay up and watch TV all night. Mm-hmm. And so after being in there for a little while and, and you people in your pocket, I saw you on TV the other night. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, um, you know, I was kind of, Few people knew who I was, like I said, and then I was kind of just keeping my head down, minding my own business. I was in um, Toastmasters, yeah, and a lot of people may have heard of Toastmasters. It's a I corporate uh, organization. Yeah, they have Toastmasters in prison, and that's where I met Rodney Lincoln. And um, so, if if you want to associate with a better class of people in prison, you can go get in a gang, or you can go join something like Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to be in a gang, so I joined Toastmasters and. Uh, I was actually in that when I worked for Enterprise. but um, You might explain what that is because a lot of people might not know. It's a public speaking group. Yeah. You know, it's a networking group on the outside. If you belong to Toastmasters and you work for Ralston Perina, mm-hmm. you might go to a Toastmasters meeting with somebody that works for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and you get a network with those people. Yeah. And, and it's a really great way for people to connect and for you to hone your public speaking skills, which uh, you know everybody can use work sure. on that no matter how good you might think you might be. Um, so I was doing those things and um, working in the kitchen, just staying busy, staying busy, doing what I do. And one day I came back from work and I got a message that my attorney wanted to, me to call him. Okay. So I called Joel and he was all excited. Joel does not get excited. <laughs> if you know Joel at all, he does it's not. pretty calm. Everything very close to the vest. And if he gets excited about something, he has a very good reason. Mm-hmm. And, and he's obviously very excited over the phone he's like did you watch the news last night and i says yeah i watch the news every night what's the big deal dude he says well what'd you see on the news i says joel i'm in jefferson city i don't get the same news you get bro and uh, he says oh and then it finally hit him he says well here's what happened and you're gonna get a hearing and we're gonna get a new trial and this was in 
uh, I believe, February of 2000. Yeah, I think he filed a thing called a Moody motion, which never Moody gets motion. uh Never yeah. gets uh, through. I think we were the third in the whole history of the yeah. state. And uh, if you read the appeals court statement, it was just really scathing. Basically, to sum it all up, they said, hey, Lincoln County, you better have a hearing to see if this guy gets another trial. And if he doesn't get another trial, we're going to be really mad. Yeah. Uh, that's really the long and short of it. And at that point, right after that. How long have you been in by then? Um, well, this was 2015. I'd been in about locked up about three years total at that point. Yeah. Okay. And, um, immediately judge Minnemeyer recused herself. Okay. Um, because she knew that she wasn't going to be really good for her. Uh, she'd already gotten in trouble for a couple other things and been suspended for about six months or so. Uh, so she recused herself and then they assigned a judge, I believe out of Pike County, which we disqualified. Joel said, well, he's that's too close to Lincoln and probably associates with Leah. We want somebody that's further removed. And then we got Judge Stephen Omer, and Joel knew of his reputation because he was from St. Louis. Joel's from St. Louis and said, hey, this is a good guy. He's got a really good reputation. He's a whistleblower. I mean, he'll, he'll report his own if he sees them doing something unethical or, and I said, well, that's the guy we want. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Leah tried to disqualify him unsuccessfully. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And then they scheduled the hearing for June. So I had to wait from March until June. Gosh, I bet that time passed slow. It was very, very (laughs) slow. (laughs) I mean, time goes slow anyway. Right. And that even slows it even more. You're like, oh, gee whiz. And then in June, we have this hearing, and they take me back to jail. Ooh. And um, <laughs> Right? You don't want to go back to no. jail ever. You don't like to travel as a prisoner. It's just no, no good. No, travel, I mean, you don't get none of your stuff. Yeah. And, and you want your stuff. You want your stuff, because yeah. that's all you got. That's all you got. You know? And uh, so we go back to jail, and we go and have this hearing. And Leah, I think, was trying to play to a jury that wasn't there. The judge scolded her several times. I mean, it reminded me of, her acting like a high schooler or something like that. And uh, long and short of it, she was she was more concerned about the reason that I was getting a new trial. She didn't want the reason for the judge's decision to be because she had an affair with one of the lead detectives, which she did, and that's documented. Yeah. Uh, we know all about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she didn't want that didn't to want be that the reason. Okay. And the judge is like, that's got nothing to do with it. This all went wrong. We don't wrong. care about that. This, this has all been wrong. <laughs> this guy gets a trial. Let's go ahead and schedule it. And so they scheduled it for November, amazingly, which was the same month I had my first trial. And then I go back. Russ, back. what are you thinking, man? You go in there and they say, okay, yeah, you get a new trial. <laughs> my God, you got to be thinking. Because you're thinking in your mind 10 years, 14 years, and all of a sudden you get this thing and you get a hearing. and like, Yeah, you get a new trial and it's going to be in a few months. Right. I'm like, I'm amazed. I'm like, this is nuts. This is crazy. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I don't know anybody and I know a lot of people because I'm on the inside. I know a lot. I don't know anybody that's ever had this, you know, and Joel doesn't either. So, <laughs> you know, he's from the lawyer standpoint. Yeah, exactly. So we have two different points of view. Right. And so I was really kind of excited about that. And they take me back over to the jail, you know, from the courthouse. And then uh, I thought I was going to be there for the weekend because normally when you come in, they They're not going to take on you like back. a Friday or a Thursday. They're busy. And, and you're there until Monday. Yeah. Well, they wanted to get rid of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so of transport comes and they're like, oh, you're going back. I'm like, 
okay, well, somewhere between there and going back, I realized that, wait a second, I just won this hearing. Yeah. And now I'm not convicted. Right. And they're taking me back to prison, and it's illegal for them to house me with convicted people. I know this. And I'm like, oh, I was... I was bugging those guys. I was like, I wanted a cigarette. <laughs> I was bugging those guys all the way back to Jeff City. I'm like, well, they bugged me for three years, mm -hmm. so it's my turn. I bugged them for three hours back to Jeff City for a cigarette and said, they're going to put me in the hole. I'm not going to get my stuff. Mm -hmm. But because the paperwork takes time to get there, I went right back to general population. And I was out there for, I don't know, about three or four or five days and by that time, it was hitting the local newspaper in Jeff City. So some of the guards were like, hey, man, good yeah. luck to you. Yeah. You know, you're getting a new trial. Good luck to you. And, and when the prison itself found out that I wasn't convicted anymore, they came and said, you're leaving tomorrow. I'm like, oh, great. I get to go back to jail. <laughs> yeah. Remember jail? Um, so I go back to jail. And I'm in there. And a visiting day comes up now in jail. It's a little bit different. It's through glass. You don't have a contact visit like you had in prison. So now this is. And if know, I remember, there aren't those a lot shorter. I mean, their yes. visit is like. Uh, visit in prison is about four hours if your people want to stay yeah. that long. In jail is about an hour. Yeah. Uh, whether they want to stay longer or not. Right. And it's just what it is. And so, it's behind the glass. Yeah. So my mom and my sister and my cousin uh, come in there to see me and they're, they're like, ah, oh, we're. Your bond is lower. We're going to get you out of here soon. And I said, okay, yeah. When is soon? <laughs> because your idea of soon could be next week. Sure. My idea of soon from right where now. I'm sitting is yesterday. <laughs> exactly. So soon, don't get me nowhere. You know, do what you got to do. I was trying to be understanding, but let them understand it. Don't tell me soon. Just do what you do, yeah. you know. And I'll uh, go that, when I, I think can that go. was on a Sunday when we had that visit and then Tuesday and I had phone calls in jail cost a lot more than mm -hmm. they do in prison. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, a lot of might, money made off. You phone might calls. pay 50 cents a minute in prison, but you're going to pay $2 a minute uh, from jail. So I had times and days scheduled to call my mother. So it wouldn't cost an arm and a leg. And uh, this was that particular time. And I got up and called my mom and she didn't answer. I said, well, you know, she knows I'm supposed to call. Well, maybe she's in the bathroom or doing laundry or what have you. I'm going to go ahead and take my shower and start my day. I was in an open pot at that point. Mm -hmm. And I'll call her back. So, you know, that went on. I got back on the phone over there when it, when it was open. And I'm standing there and the, the door to the pod's right there, like literally five foot from the phone. And uh, I'm waiting for the phone call to connect. We all know how that goes. And the, the sergeant on duty opens the door and says, Faria, bunk and junk. And it took a second for that to sink in. And I looked up and I said, huh? <laughs> he said, bunk and junk. And I know what those two words mean. If you've ever been on the inside, you also know what those two words mean. And if you haven't, it means get your shit. You're getting out of here. Exactly. Uh, I knew that only meant one thing because they weren't taking me back to prison. That meant they're putting me out the front door. And uh, it didn't take me long to uh, make my necessary trades for my good stuff or other people's <laughs> bad stuff that I was going to be turning back into jail. Everybody knows how that works. And, a lot uh, of training going on right when you get out. Right, right. And uh, so they took me up front, and uh, I had to sign some papers with the bondsman. And uh, the bonds person said, you know, I'm going to hang back here because there's a lot of press and everything out there. And um, 
I got to walk out the front door and one of the most, uh, I guess one of the best moments of my entire life, uh, it's been surpassed, but, uh, I got to walk out and hug my mother as a free man the first time when I was bonded out. Mm. Uh, and then I got to hug the rest of my family and friends. Uh, they can't had, imagine they had a limo bus out there waiting for me with my favorite Pantera's pizza and Dr. Pepper. And uh, we went to a little. Russ has got that with him here today. I do have that. I'm, I'm drinking diet, <laughs> diet Dr. Pepper Dr. now. Pe- I like diet Dr. Pepper. It is. It's, it tastes fattening, it's but good. it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should have them as a sponsor of the show. Right. <laughs> we just gave them a plug. And so we went to a local bar called uh, Turtle Creek. And that's uh, Dateline and uh, Fox yeah. 2. They were all there. But moreover, um, I uh, got to see a bunch of family and friends that I hadn't seen in quite some time, you know, because you only can have so many people. I just can't you. imagine, Russ, after going through everything that you went through, and then boom, you didn't even know. You are just trying to make a call to your mom. Yeah. And boom, you're standing outside free after three years of all that. I'm, I I get emotional whenever I think about that mm. to this day. Um, and, and we had a great party there at the bar. and uh, Just had a bit of huge adrenaline rush. It was. It was. And uh, got to reconnect with a lot of people. And then at the end of the evening, it was kind of late. My dad worked nights at a local grocery store. Excuse me. And they didn't tell him. My dad uh, suffered from manic depression. And uh, when he had to witness his firstborn son get arrested and put him in the hospital and so mm. he wasn't able to come and see me i talked to him on the phone a yeah. minimal amount of times during the time i was locked up but i hadn't seen but my father in three and a half years and they did not tell him because they didn't know if everything was going to go as planned okay. and they were going to get me out so my dad went to work as he planned they, he didn't know where everybody was they, they were out somewhere yeah and uh, so at the end of the evening this bar was literally around the corner from where my father works. But my sister says, okay, uh, you go ahead and drive. I hadn't driven in three and a half years, but my license is still good. And uh, you don't forget, it's like riding a bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I drove around the corner to where my father works, and my dad was my best friend. Mm. You know, uh, We watched football together, and, I mean, every boy's dad should be their best friend. Mine was. Mm-hmm. So uh got to go in there and surprise my pop. Man. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I I just uh you know I I remember you you're bringing back the emotions to me cuz I remember getting out you know my family being there and the wife and you know there's just I don't know Russ there's not there's not a feeling however you come out there's not a feeling like that but that connection with your dad had to have been really something Oh it was there's there's a picture out there of me and him just totally bear hugging one another right there in the store and uh naturally uh the people that he works with, he says, oh, well, I'm going to go home. And they said, no, no go ahead. <laughs> they <laughs> do the whole story. And uh, so we got to go home from there, and it was, uh, that, was, that was great. So when, when it comes down to, because Joel tells a story about him really struggling and wrestling with the idea of not having a jury. And he approaches you with that idea because he likes this judge and he thinks it's, it's facts then these facts can't be disputed. Russ, what was your thoughts on, on this? Cause this is your life. Well, it's really kind of amazing. Um, we kind of came to the same conclusion around the same time for, um, I guess different reasons or whatever. 
But um, my cousin Mary and I, you know, we're close. My sister Rachel, but Mary was taking me. We were going to meeting with Joel uh, when I was locked up. It was my sister Rachel. But I was being able to actually take an active part in preparing for my trial, mm -hmm. which when you're in prison, you, there's you really not a whole lot you can do other yeah. than give information. But now I'm able to actually take an active part. I can go have a conversation with my lawyer and know for a fact that there's no cameras yeah. or microphones recording or, anything, or right? anything else. Yeah. And, and my cousin Mary and I had talked about this by this time I knew who Ryan Ferguson was and I had researched his case a little bit because it was from Missouri and I'm right. like, okay. And Big I found case. out that Ryan and I had something in common. Ryan in his case, which happened in Columbia, Missouri, got a change of venue, which means they brought in a jury from another jurisdiction. That jury was from Lincoln County. That's small world stuff. So, yes, um, as we were saying earlier, you know, uh, very small world. And Mary and I had discussed this. I says, you know, I, I don't I don't want to give him another chance. I'm like, mm -hmm. Ryan was convicted. I was convicted. That's two strikes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to really put the ball in their court again? And And we had actually discussed this. And then we went down to Joel's office one day, and he says, you know, got an idea and it's kind of unorthodox and i want to run it by you guys and see what you think and he says what do you think about a bench trial i'd never heard of a bench trial at that point but he explained what it was and that the judge was going to be the one to hear the case and he said this is what i want to do and mary and i looked at one another and looked back at joel and said do it <laughs> just like that and mary and i again we yeah. have that little psychic Twins. communication. We yeah. can look at one another and tell what each other are thinking. We had already discussed it at that point, and when Joel brought it up, that was just fuel for the fire, and we looked at one another, made that communication, and immediately chimed back at him, go for it, let's do this. And um, I know a lot of Joel's colleagues just thought that was oh yeah crazy and yeah. stupid. Um, I know it shocked the hell out of It was prosecutor. gutsy on both your parts, uh, but I can see how you came to the – to the, I I can see how you came to that because you, you you you've got twelve people, and it didn't turn out well. The Ryan Ferguson thing happened, and then you've got your attorney that really feels solid about this judge, right? And I had not heard, like I said, I had not heard of what a bench trial was. Yeah, I was going to say, hey, why don't we get a change of venue and get yeah. this Keep, out of Lincoln out County? Of yeah, I don't I don't trust the jury from yeah. Lincoln County anymore. Right, you know, and and then he says this bench trial, I'm like. Okay, well, we're telling the truth, and if we can get all of our evidence in, and we can get a fair trial like we never got before, which is all I ever wanted, yeah, was a fair trial. It's all everybody ever wants, and unfortunately, we've talked about this. It doesn't happen, and, and people get wrongfully convicted a lot more than what people realize. What people know, right? You know, we've said a few names here today. You know, my name mm -hmm. is one, Ryan Ferguson. And Rodney Lincoln, for every Russ Faria, for every Ryan Ferguson, for yeah. every Ryan Lincoln or Rodney Lincoln, there's ten other guys that sure. you don't know their name. Yeah, that might not get out. Right. So when you get this trial, you head back into that courtroom, Russ. Does it feel different? It did. It did. It felt a lot different. Again, I was able to help prepare for the trial. Mm -hmm. Um. There was the incident about the uh, the pictures. Well, let's so. talk about that because when you're sitting in there, 
I can't. This is this is the type of stuff when you're watching movies and and you're like, oh, that's that moment. So Leah gets up there and she's giving her opening statement and is saying the same thing and talking about the malfunction. And, and Joel has to be looking. I think he said he looks over and says, she doesn't know I got these pictures. Yeah. And I, I was sitting right there at the table with him yeah. and Nate, you know, and, and there's nobody else that hears the conversation that yeah. goes on between a client and his attorneys right because there. Cause you're right the there. Table. And, and we're like, okay, this might be a boon for this us. This is a big deal. Yeah, and we didn't realize that when Joel received those pictures several yeah. weeks before um, that came from Leah's office. You just figured it was sharing information like they're supposed to As they were to supposed do. to. Um, but we know that that doesn't always happen. Uh, and then there was the incident uh, with the letter yeah. that was on Betsy's computer. And I was actually, I'm a computer geek. Yeah, you I know that, that stuff. Before. I know that stuff. Joel shows me this letter, and I looked, took one look at it, and I go, that letter didn't come from that computer. Mm -hmm. And he says, how do you know that? I said, well, you can get your expert. By the time he'd already hired Greg Chatton, I says, you can get your expert, and Greg will confirm this. I says, but I went to college, too. And I says, if that document was originated on that computer, it would have an author because everybody that has an account on that computer has a name attached to that account, and that would be an author if you create a document. Putting it in simple terms right now, this author that's attached to that document is unknown, which means it did not originate there. It came from somewhere else. I said, "Get the expert on it, and he'll confirm that." Joel ran with that, and that that was uh, and that was another big deal. I mean, you know, the the pictures were a big deal, but that letter deal was a big deal. I think those were two of the biggest deals. Two of the biggest deals, and then obviously allowing the the idea that you were on that insurance policy for basically 4,000 days and she was on it for four days, Pam Hupp, and then Betsy dies. So those three things were huge for you guys uh, in that second trial. Oh, it was. It and was. then you had everything else that ran around. The fact that you couldn't have been there and they pinged her, her uh, phone to be basically at the scene of the crime. Uh, man, I can't imagine you sitting there on the second trial hearing all the things that you wanted to hear on the first trial being argued. Russ, it just had to be a whole different type of feeling for you. It was. It was. Um, there were a lot of things that were presented during the first trial, and there's things where there's times when the jury is actually sent out, and then the lawyers go about doing what they're doing, and it's recorded so that they can use that for appeals and that. So that information was out there, but the jury didn't hear it. Didn't hear it. Uh, at this point, we've got a judge, and he's hearing everything. And mm -hmm. I was really happy with the fact that, um, and he kind of continued his behavior that he had during this hearing. Leo was, again, trying to play to a jury that didn't exist. Right. And he would scold her and admonish her several times throughout the trial because she was just acting ridiculously. People ask me about the movie and say, well, what do you think about it being so funny? I say, well, the people that they're making you laugh at acted more ridiculously than they're being portrayed. So, yeah, laugh at them. Yeah, goofy, silly time. You know? Well, I mean, and, Russ, it's so, you know, I can't imagine you watching all this because I'm, I'm, I'm deep in this, but I wasn't part of this. Then you watch the Dateline thing the other night, and they interview Leah – and she was probably one of the most disliked people in that miniseries for sure, besides Pam Hupp. For her to be interviewed by Keith Morrison, she came across even worse. 
I mean, she 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 should have never gone on Dateline, and she's still throwing accusations at still. me. Still, there there is an old Isn't it proverb. Crazy? There is an old proverb out there that says, "It's better to remain silent and be thought of a fool than to open one's mouth and remove <laughs> exactly. all doubt." I think Abraham it's, Lincoln said it. I'm not sure. It's a good one, though. She obviously have never heard no, that. She had no and business she didn't talking. Do her herself any favors no favors she's out there throwing accusations at me you know i've never been brought any evidence to show me that he wasn't guilty and everybody who's watching this russ knows what they've seen there's there she's saying something only to herself the whole world has watched this they've listened to it on podcasts they've seen the miniseries they've read the book She's so far out in left field. I've I've just, never been brought any evidence to prove to me that she's anything other than a moron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and Keith Morrison says, you know, it runs through your alibi. <coughs> and he said, "What kind of alibi is a good alibi if this isn't an alibi that can be considered good?" And she said, "I just didn't feel it in my gut." I, what? I, I, That's crazy. I well, think uh, I I just actually had a conversation with Kathy Singer yeah. from Dateline yeah. this afternoon, and, and that subject came up, and and uh, Kathy said, well, maybe she got a little bit of confidence from uh, the couple interviews she did on KSDK yeah. recently, and thought that Keith wasn't going was going to take it easy on her, and. That's just uh, not Keith, Keith was Morrison just shaking. Style. <laughs> he was literally just shaking his head. Oh yeah. Okay, and I'll be seeing him uh, in about another week and a half. Oh, he's and I'm going to question him about that. God, he's fun. so good, and and the way he tells stories, he 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 should just. I mean, he's a storyteller, and and man, but his interview with her, man, there was a lot of people that enjoyed that interview. Oh yeah, that was. I I think we've done six Datelines, and that's a record. Yeah. Uh, but out of the six, I think that one is probably the best one yet. Well, it tied it all together. It did, and and. You got Leah out there who has not talked in 10, almost 11 years now. Yeah. And you she know. should have stayed quiet. And again, like we just said, she should have stayed quiet. Uh, she's now taken her business down off of Facebook and Google because she got a 1.6 rating. After the interview, she's lost business over the course sure. of the weekend. Before Monday occurred, she had people fire her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's b- totally believable. Right. So, you know. Well, Russ, okay. let's let's back up a little bit because you 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 get in this trial, uh, all the stuff that you want out there. You've got a you've got a real juror being the the judge, and the moment comes, and does it feel the same? Or are you feeling different? You're standing up, and you know your life is in or out. Well, I had a lot more confidence yep. going, you know, watching the thing go down, and then there's this recess. Yeah. And uh, Joel and I and my cousin Mary and I think another friend of mine uh, were out in the parking lot. It's one of our cars or something. And uh, your attorneys are always obligated to let you know of any offer made by the prosecution. And Leah made this offer to Nate Swanson, Joel's associate Mm -hmm. and co-counsel, and said, uh, well, you know, if he uh, will plead to manslaughter, I'll give him soft life. You know, I did parole. not know this. This is new information. And Nate called down there to Joel, and, and I looked at Joel, and I, I don't know if we can say this on here or not, but I, I said she can just take that and shove it right up her ass. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to accept anything more than an apology right now. Right. And uh, so he told Nate that, and I think Nate repeated those exact words to Leah. 
And uh, so there was a little bit more time. And what we ended up finding out later on was there was a problem with the printer. And the judge didn't get his uh, stuff printed out as quickly as possible. So he had this whole statement that he read that took, I don't know, it seemed like ages to me. It might have taken five minutes. but yeah. it seemed it, like a lifetime It seemed to like you. a lifetime yeah. to me that he was talking about this case, bringing up more questions than answers and just everything. He was very scathing. Yeah. But that didn't make me any difference. There was one part I was waiting the for, and that was the end. Yeah. Um, and anybody that's been in a similar situation will tell you that. Um, so he came to the reading my counts and that. He says, on the count of you know, murder in the first degree, I find you not guilty. And that was the first first Deep little breath. bit. <laughs> and on the count of armed criminal action, I find you not guilty. And then that point is when I... They show me in the movie falling into Joel's arms. Nate and I embrace one another, and Nate actually is the one that caught me because my legs weren't working. Yeah, anymore it felt like at rubber. Point. Yeah, um, and it was incredible. And then I think I turned around, and then we had an embrace with Joel, and then we got to uh, walk out of the court. Oh, you guys just survived man. a war together, and and, and, and won. Was, yeah, it was it was a literal war. Yeah, yeah. and we won. And you won, and it's such a great story. And so let's talk about what's going on now. Because I, I know you've got, uh, uh, well, just go ahead and tell me. tell me. Tell me what's going on in your life. What's now, going Ross. on now? Well, you know, that after the was, show, <laughs> I've been out for seven years now. So there's a lot that's gone on in seven years. What's happened in seven years was uh, about a year after I was exonerated, um, Pam went, Pam Hupp got wind that the U.S. attorneys were reinvestigating the case, and she got scared. Mm -hmm. And she went out hunting. She approached a few people. Literally went out hunting. Yes. Yeah. I, I tell It's the only way I can describe it. Like somebody would go out deer hunting or rabbit hunting. Yeah, And she I kind of think they described it that way on the show when Keith Morrison was narrating it. Yes. She went out hunting. Yeah, she was out looking for prey. Yeah. And uh, she approached a couple of people, and then she came across a, a disabled gentleman who had been in a car accident. Uh, by the name of Louis Gumpenberger. And she took him back to her house and murdered him. Murdered him. And tried to pin it on you. Again, tried to pin it on me. So it was like deja vu. Um, actually. And she made so many mistakes. You oh, know, there, yeah. there were so many missteps that she had that, I mean, from where she bought the knife to the do the $100 bills to the whole thing. The, she She misstepped all the way through. Soon as I heard about it, I'm like, she's going to drag me into this somehow. Yeah, I, I just knew it, and I. Well, you got called back in, right? This happened on I forget what day of the week, maybe a Tuesday or Wednesday, and that weekend I was planning to go to the Lake of the Ozarks and mm -hmm. meet a friend of mine that lived in Springfield. And we were going to talk about PTSD. Have a nice weekend. <laughs> yes, yes, PTSD is real. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I heard about this, and I'm like, she's going to try and involve me in this somehow. I just know it. But I went on with my weekend, and I get down this friend I had made a new acquaintance with, and uh, I sat down with this friend and says, okay, well, if you're going to hang out with me and be my friend, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit about who I am here. And so I told this friend about my whole ordeal, and now I've been exonerated. I says, now, furthermore, let me tell you the most recent occurrences. And I told a story about what happened with Mr. Gumpenberger, and I says, there's probably a good chance that I'm going to get from my lawyer this weekend about five minutes after that conversation joel called me and said the police want to talk to you mm -hmm. and i said well i'm in the ozarks 
and I'm not coming back until Monday. If they're going to talk to me, they're going to talk to me then, or they can come and get me, but I ain't coming home. So I figured if they're going to arrest me, I'm going to enjoy the next three, four days. Yeah. Um, but that was never the case. Uh, I went down there and talked to them. They they were just checking off their They assured me that they were doing their jobs the way it should have been this done. This is different this time. Ten yeah. years prior. And they were doing a thorough investigation, which meant because my name was brought up, because they she planted that note in his pocket, which meant investigating me. I gave him my phone for three days. I gave him handwriting, yeah. everything they wanted, and they eliminated me as a suspect, as they should have 10 years prior in Lincoln County. Right. Uh, any rate, uh, about a week prior to that, uh, she tried to kill somebody or tried to lure somebody else, a female who lived across the street from a friend of mine at the time. That person was going to be the star witness in the case against Pam Hupp uh, killing Mr. Lewis Guppenberger. Pam Hupp took a cop out. Mm-hmm. It's called an Alfred plea. And what that means is, oh, I'm not guilty. I'm not admitting any guilt, but you have enough evidence to convict me if I go to trial. Right. So she she took the cop out, and she didn't have a trial, and she was sentenced to Life without plus 30 years. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Which is all I ever wanted for her. Yeah. You know, the best, just like she wanted for yes. me. And so she went to prison. Karma. Throughout the whole process, I got to meet this individual because they lived across the street from one of my best friends. Uh, she's a nice individual by the name of Carol McAfee. Uh, we became friends. And uh, this past October, we got engaged. How about that? <laughs> you know, that's so amazing because, I mean, you guys have that in common. I mean, she literally was in the car with Pam Huff the day that Pam was probably looking to kill her because that's what, that was her plan. She just didn't, didn't work out, had her take her back to, the, to her place and dropped her back off. And then that's when she found the young man and took him back and killed him. But the fact that you guys found each other, Wow. Yeah, I, I, it's, <laughs> what a story. <laughs> it's just more unbelievableness <laughs> to the already unbelievableness of this whole story. But well, I you think know. that's great though. I mean, you, you've lived this whole nightmare and you've come out on the other side and, and you're doing some other things that are really good. Great. And I know you're, you're doing the stuff. Uh, uh, you've always loved motorcycles. You're working in that type of business, but you've, you're also working with the innocent project. Uh, what's the name of it? The uh, Midwest innocence Mid- project. Midwest innocence project. Yeah. I love that you're doing that Russ, because you, you're such a good, credible voice to lend shine a light on things. And you know, you have a spotlight on you, but you're using it in such a positive way. Well, and I've I've taken some examples from, from my good friend who I've since made the acquaintance, Ryan Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I echo one another quite a bit on, on a lot of the subjects. But a lot of us exonerated folks, Rodney Lincoln and Adam Brazil, and I can name a hundred yeah. other guys. We're, we're all, uh, I guess, crusaders. Sure. And uh, I've taken it upon myself and said, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with this world. There are a million and one. I can We can be here until next week and not mm-hmm. name them all. Um, but this is one thing I might have the ability to change. Yeah. There's people that want to listen to what I have to say. You're using your experience to so affect good. I, I hope I can come up with something important to say. So if I can come up with something important to say and people want to listen to it, I can help this organization over here. Yeah. I can help educate all the people out there that aren't aware of how many wrongful convictions happen. 
all the people out there, and I, I know Joel talked about this too, and it's near and dear to my heart, near and dear to Ryan's heart, mm-hmm. prosecutorial immunity. It yes. gives prosecutors carte blanche. They can do anything they want Needs and to change. not ever suffer for it. And if they're performing their jobs unethically and maliciously and just wrongfully, there should said be a consequence. They should face the same penalty as somebody else. I've told people, you know, they can send you and me and everybody else to our death, either, you know, by the death penalty or being imprisoned by death. Potentially, you have thousands of serial killers in the United States. Right. Because of that, I mean, three yeah. is serial killers. So how many prosecutors out there? And no state, uh, the only one that has punished anybody for it is Texas, and they've only done it twice and more or less a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's something that I'm trying to work to change. Well, and I think Joel said it in a, in a, in a good way also, how, to, how he was explaining it, is that, you know, the justice system that we have is the best there is, is. but there's humans in this system and the, the idea of winning sometimes get us in the way of doing the right thing. And when that happens, innocent people or people that shouldn't be put away get put away and those people get promoted. And without there being a severe consequence to that, exactly, uh, it, 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 allow, it allows too much to happen. And, and that's why I try and raise the awareness for it. I mean, things need to be changed. Like I was saying, if you see something that's wrong in this world, and you're in a position to do something about it, and you don't. Yeah. Are you not part of the problem? Yeah. You know, I'm in a position to speak out. I'm in, in a position to maybe, possibly help what happened to me not happen to somebody else. You know, I don't want what happened to me to happen to anybody else. Yep. Uh, That's a big deal. And so, if I can save one person from going through what I did, I've done what I set out to do. Yeah. If I can save ten or twenty or a hundred, it's even better. It's. Much better. Russ, let me ask you this, because you've, you've lived through so many different stages of a nightmare, and you've survived it. What do you think, out to the listeners here, that would be your takeaway from everything that you've experienced? What would you tell them? Always persevere. Never stop believing. You know, uh, heard the cliches all the time every cloud has a silver lining but it does mm-hmm. you know pam hupp is an evil person evil. i've called her evil incarnate and yeah. i've also called leah Askey cheney womack mm-hmm. she's had so many different she's last changed names. Her name, yeah. uh, well she married her high school right. teacher which begs the question what was going on back in high school right. but anyway <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> other that's, story that's another story altogether but i said just always persevere and and remain and believe because there's a silver lining to every cloud these people are evil. Excuse me. These people are evil, but they never expected, and neither did I, that I would find love yeah. because of what they did. I would have never met. I might have met Carol. Yeah. I might have. She was a neighbor. But I wouldn't have connected with her the way, Not the way you're connected. that we connected yeah. because of this what story. Happened? So I think that story and Pam Hupp and everything that goes along with it kind of brought us together. And uh, she's kind of a shyer person in that. Um She's getting a little bit better at doing some interviews and whatnot. But uh, I saw she did a couple of interviews. She, yeah. She's really good. <laughs> she's good. Uh, she doesn't give herself enough credit, but uh, I kind of help prepare her for yeah. that. And sometimes she gets overwhelmed because, like, when Pam was charged, that was the first live stuff that I did. I've done tons of interviews sitting yeah. in a room with yeah. a camera crew, but nothing where the whole press got to sit there and ask me a bunch of questions. Yeah. 
And that was the first time that we were hounded like that in public, and she kind of got overwhelmed. I don't think she was very well prepared for it, and it was my fault. But I wasn't either, you know. I didn't expect Well, it's not normal. I mean, people aren't used to being surrounded by people that are in the press asking a bunch of questions on live TV. So it's, it's something you got to used to. a little bit it. of attention, but on live TV is like, oh, okay. So Different now, world. Yeah. Right. Russ, this has been really good. I, I really appreciate you coming on here. And so many people want to hear your voice, want to hear your story. And really see, you know, I think when people listen to these type of things, they say they see things that bits and pieces they can pick from and nuggets from that, you know, help them get through things. And I think that's what you're helping people do too. Telling your story, how you got through it, not giving up, uh, and staying determined, uh, those are all good things, man, and and you're doing good things, and I, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, for those, uh, we like the likes and, and subscribing. Um, you know, if you're on uh, the Apple Podcast, leave a review if you feel like it. And uh, Can we do a shameless pug? Oh, absolutely. Uh, for those of you that ride motorcycles or know somebody that does, uh, come on out to St. Charles, Missouri, and all lubed up cycles, and uh, you can meet me in person if you like. I'll even sign your book if you got it with you. I love it. All right, we're going to end it on that. That was a great plug. All right, Russ, appreciate it, man. Nightmare success, in and out. Thanks again.